Ooh, there we go. Good morning, Mercy Culture. So good to see you guys this morning. Wow. Wow. Sometimes, I can, sometimes, almost every Sunday, me and Nikki just look at each other and go, what are we supposed to do now? <laughs> what do we do? Whew, okay. Beautiful, beautiful time in God's presence, and we're just getting started. We're just getting started. I want to welcome you to Mercy Culture Church, where the vision of our church is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. And what that means is, is that we don't just want to encounter God when we come together like we just did, which is incredible and life-changing, but those encounters with God should fuel a hunger for you to long to encounter him like that every day. Because if you can hear the voice of the Lord and have the faith to do what he says to do, you cannot fail. And if you can encounter God's presence every single day, it will change your life. I've served the Lord for a lot of years and been in full-time ministry for 20 years. I know what you're thinking. He can't be that old. <laughs> I guess you weren't thinking that. But uh, I've been serving the Lord, and I've never seen somebody successful in their relationship with God that didn't have a daily encounter with him. We've got to encounter God every day. We have to have that hunger to be in his presence every day. And what we do here at MC Waco is, is we believe, we know that there is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus. But in Jesus, there are many ways to connect with God. And sometimes the church has done a disservice to us in implying or outright teaching us that there's only one way to connect with God, that you've got to connect with God the way the worship leader or the way that the pastor connects with God. So you got to have a quiet time, or you got to do it this way or that way. But there are many ways to connect with the Lord. And some of you connect with God through movement. We just had the justice run yesterday. Come on. At our mother church, the, our planting church, our, our church, we're one church in many locations. And our church in Fort Worth, Mercy Culture Fort Worth, um, hosted the justice run for a housed vision of ours, the justice reform. It was an incredible day where we ran uh, for, for justice. We ran to see the freeing of modern-day slaves in the sex trafficking industry. And well over 1,000 people gathered to run uh, the 5K, the 10K, a half marathon, a full marathon, and we connected with God through movement. It was incredible. And some of us connect with God through solitude, and some of you through adoration. There are so many ways to connect with the Lord, but we want to help you discover the way that you best connect with God. And we do that through a process that we call MC Connect. Not only is it the first step for you to join Mercy Culture and to be involved in Mercy Culture Church, but it is the way in which we disciple people into daily encounters. We'd love to have you learn more about that. Just text the word CONNECT to 59090 and get a link sent back to you for all of that information. Uh, we've got elections coming up. Come on. The election day is this Tuesday, and I just wanted to encourage you guys if you haven't followed us on social media, please do that. Search Mercy Culture Waco and Facebook or Instagram, and you can follow us on social media. And, and through our social media account, we have given some resources on how you can be informed on candidates, and you can be informed about uh, godly principles and those that are going to, to, to operate within biblical values. And we have a house vision at Mercy Culture called For Justice, For Liberty and Justice. 
and they have a friends and family list. You can text the word Liberty to 59090 to get that list sent back to you. And there's a lot of folks on there from the statewide that are running for statewide office that you can get more information about. These are people that we have built relationship with and uh, know that they are operating and have made a commitment to operate within our values. And so if you're wondering about who you should vote for, this is a great resource for you. But as always, we encourage you to go to the Lord, fast and pray, and ask for the Father's heart in these upcoming elections, but make your voice heard. As you saw in our videos, we are in video announcements. We have been meeting every Wednesday morning at 6.30 a.m. for Wednesday morning prayer, and it has been an incredible experience. A few weeks ago, our senior pastor from Mercy Culture Fort Worth, Pastor Heather, came and spoke to us and, and declared and prophesied that this would be a house of prayer. And so we have been stewarding that prophetic word, and we've been meeting every Wednesday morning at 6.30 and praying and seeking God. I want to encourage you today. I don't mention it every week, but I felt the leading of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you today to join with us Wednesday mornings at 6.30. It's been unbelievable. But this morning, I'm not preaching. Hey. I love it. I'm not preaching today. I am so excited. We have a prophetic gift to this house today. Yeah. Not only is she one of the most powerful women of God I've ever had the pleasure of knowing, but her and her husband, Will, have become dear friends. And Nikki and I love them so very much. And it is such an honor to have her with us in the house this morning. I want to encourage you, family, to open up your spirit and to prepare to receive what she has come to bring us. The Lord spoke to me today. She hasn't just come to preach a word. She has come to impart to this house that that she carries. And so I am so excited to receive what the Holy Spirit is going to impart to us through her. So honor is one of the values here at Mercy Culture Church. Family, let's stand to our feet and honor Mr. Haviland Ford. It's such a pleasure to be in the house of God. Oh, my God. Let's just give it up for the presence of the Lord. Can we give Jesus a big hand clap for his spirit that's in here today? Thank you for your presence, God. Thank you that it's easy in your presence, God. We just thank you. We celebrate the presence of God. Oh, there's nothing like the presence of God. We don't want to be anywhere but in your presence, God. We honor you, sir. Oh, Jesus, you can be seated in his presence. Man, it's so good to be in a house that loves the presence of God. We don't take it lightly what we have here. It's a good thing for a speaker to not want to speak because the Lord is in the room. And what he has to say is far better. But I'm going to do my best. Will and I, we just honor you, Pastor Les and Nikki, for having us today. It is our, you know, we love Mercy Culture Church. We feel like we found a home. The very first time I came to Fort Worth, I remember you coming up to me. Actually, before you came up to me to prophesy us into Mercy Culture, I was 
preaching at a conference, flying in the DFW, and I heard the Lord say, welcome home. And I'm thinking, welcome home? I've been in Dallas for eight years. What are you saying, God? He said, welcome home. Then I go to church, and you came up to me, and you said, the Lord is bringing you home. Welcome home. It was the language of home and family. Little did I know we would move to Fort Worth, and we would be a part of such an amazing house. What a privilege it is to be a part of a house where there's freedom, so much freedom. I just want to submit this word to you before I get started. I was standing over there and I heard the Lord say that I've never heard the Lord say this before, but that this place would be like a black and white lighthouse for the nation. And it would be a black and white lighthouse and that the Lord would bring all the nations like the colors would be the colors are coming. The different types of it's going to be just so many diversity and this house would be like a picture of heaven on earth. And then I saw this house like a beacon of light for the city. It was like a lighthouse, a literal lighthouse, and it was a house of prayer for the city. And the Lord said that it would be like the greatest attraction. People would come to experience the presence of God, not just for Joanna Gaines, God bless what they're doing, but they would literally come here to experience the presence of God. And I saw this beacon and I could see, you know, when a lighthouse, that's how the ships know how to come. Because you could see the light from far. And I just believe God is saying, get ready for what I'm going to do. Prayer will be the beacon. And it's not coincidence that I put you in a tent. Because this will be the house where the tent dwellers dwell. This will be the dwelling place of the Lord. None other than the house of God. Listen, you are going to experience this. Not just in this tent. But in that church will be a tent. A tabernacle for the presence of God. How many of you believe that this morning? You got to get used to this. Listen, don't just say, oh, this is just, God wants you to get used to this. This is going to be the special kiss of God on this house. And so I thank God, a black and white lighthouse. The only other person that had that prophetic word was my husband. And that's a whole storyline. But I don't think it's just a color thing. I think this is going to represent the kiss of heaven. When people see this house, they're going to see all of the nations here. Amen. Get ready because they're coming. Praise God. And the last thing I want to submit to you, this is so random, but I heard Lester Summerall. I don't know if you know who he is. And I'm going, Lester Summerall, what... She did? Okay. I'm like standing there. I'm like, I don't really know much about Lester Summerall, but I felt the Lord say, you will walk in unusual miracles, signs and wonders and miracles. The house will not only be marked by the presence of God. Can I just pray really quick? But that anointing that was on Lester Summerall is literally, it's a double portion anointing that the Lord is putting on you guys for such a time as this. And there will, I literally see tumors shriveling up and I even see, and, I, and I'm under the fear of the Lord, but I see news cameras coming because they're going to say, what in the world is happening in Waco? People are coming in wheelchairs and they'll hear the word of the Lord. They're leaving out hear the word of the Lord. I feel the fear of the Lord. They're going to come in one way and leave out another. God is saying, I'll even send the transgenders. They're going to get delivered and that spirit is going to be broken off of them. So Lord, we release that anointing and, uh, and there's going to be a grace to 
have burned in your 80s and 90s. It is not, it's like there's a longevity. The Lord is saying this burning and this fire is going to last. It's not going to be a flickering flame. It's going to be a steady flame that's going to continue through the generations. I didn't know Cindy prophesied that over you. Isn't God good? Isn't it easy in the presence of the Lord? Amen. Praise God. Oh, Jesus, my God. Thank you, Lord. Well, you know, first of all, I want to, I have, I'm a comedian and I've learned how to embrace the funny side of me. When I went into those restrooms, they were the nicest porta potties I've ever been in in my life. At first, I'm going, my God, my God, you know all things, Lord. But when I walked in, I said, oh, goodness, this is beautiful. So thank you guys for that. That was beautiful. Uh, we, we drove up here this morning with my son, Benjamin, and Samuel. Uh, ben is 10. Samuel is 7. And they thought we were going on a road trip. They're going, let's stop at Bucky's. Let's, I'm going, guys, we got to get to church. Come on, mom, let's stop here. Let's stop there. No, 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 no. We got to get the church. And we got here on time, so praise the Lord. So I've been given the privilege to speak on authenticity. Amen for that. You know, I love Mercy Culture Church because one of the values of this house, and we'll hear it often, is what? We don't do fake. Have you ever guys ever heard of that? We lean into awkward. Right. And so I want to speak about that because honestly, it sounds nice. We don't do fake. But what does that actually mean? What does it mean to not do fake? You know, I began to uh, study this out, and here's what I want to say. We live in a culture where this word authenticity seems to be the anthem of our culture. Would you guys agree? Of our society. Everyone is talking about being your authentic self and speaking your truth. That seems to be the, the, the song. If you could say this is the anthem of 2022, it's be you. Be your truest form. And whatever you feel like your authentic self is, we are literally seeing it lived out in our culture. How many of you would agree? We're seeing it played out. In other words, if my authentic self is a man and I'm a woman, but my authentic self is a man, then I can go ahead and just be a man. But how many of you know that's a lie? I'm going to say some things that are uncomfortable because I believe God wants to confront a spirit in this age, the spirit of the age that is leading a generation into confusion. That is leading, and it's become a great snare. And we even see this playing out in the church world. And the Lord said, we have had a culture that's learned how to fake good, how to fake good, how to perform. And I love what my husband says to me. He says this, because what, when what matters most is how things look, then how things are will never be dealt with. So you have a generation that wants to put this performance mode, this so-called true self forward, but it's not real. You know, I looked up the definition of authenticity in the secular definition. Here's what Wikipedia says. It says, authenticity is the degree to which a person's actions are congruent with his or her value and desire, despite extent pressures to society's conformity. That's the secular definition of authenticity. Now, the biblical definition of authenticity is not false. It's not copied. It's something genuine, trustworthy, reliable, accurate in representation and facts. To be an authentic Christian is not to act like the world, but to 
honor Christ in every facet of our life. Isn't that interesting how the secular definition of authenticity is based on a feeling? It's based on desire. And that's why we have a whole generation right now living out their feelings and their desire. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're living out what they feel. If they don't feel it, then it's, if, if I don't feel that this is right, if I don't feel like the gospel's relevant, it's no longer relevant. If I feel like I'm this, then I'm that. If I feel like I want to have sex outside of marriage, that's just what I feel. But God is not wanting to build his end time church based on a feeling, but based on the truth. Because our feelings have become an, an idol. So one definition is based on a feeling, but the biblical definition of authenticity is based on a fact. It's based on the truth. And unfortunately, the church has adopted the worldly, secular definition, and we're literally living in the body of Christ based on how we feel. We're building whole movements based on how we feel. I don't like that that pastor called out sin. I don't like that that pastor told me that it's not okay to abort my babies. I don't like that that pastor said this or that. So because of that, I'm going to go and birth a whole movement because of how I feel. And all I need to do is just have a hashtag and a following. And if I have enough people that follow me, then you have a whole culture that's established that's based on a lie. Do you understand what I'm saying in this church today? We have entire movements. You understand? Entire movements. And God wants to deal. Now, I'm not here to harp on the world because the world is going to do what the world does. That is just the world. But I believe that right now what we're seeing played out, it's an identity problem that God wants to deal with in the church. It has nothing to do with the world. God is saying, listen, when you point the finger this way, it's pointing back at you this way. Right? So God wants to deal with it. So let me just say this here. This is how I want to address us as believers, as a church. I believe that we have lost, lost authenticity because we have an identity problem that's connected to an orphan spirit that's created a culture of slaves and not sons and daughters. Sons and daughters don't have to perform for love. And it's, a, it's slaves that have a form of godliness but denies the power. That denies the power. 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 5 says this, having a form of godliness but denying its power. 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 5 is addressing a group of people that had a form of godliness that made an outward display of their religion. They present themselves as godly, but it's for a show. There is no power behind their religion. It's a form. And God is saying, I don't want you to have a form of godliness. And I believe that in order to have genuine authenticity in this hour, we have to have a right assessment of ourselves. We have to be able to assess where we really are. Say assess where we really are. Do you know this year the Lord said to me, I don't want you performing. I want you to literally assess where you are. I want you to be aware of what is happening in your emotions right now in this moment. I don't want you faking it. Till you make it. I don't want you striving. I don't want you putting on your best face to impress the church world. 
Do you understand? I want you coming in your in that authenticity, authenticity in Christ showing up. Because what we have right now is a bunch of actors. And guys, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Do you understand? <laughs> Romans 12, 8 says, By the grace of God given, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with a sober judgment in accordance with the faith that has been distributed to you. I believe that true authenticity starts with the person who's saying, who's coming before God, saying, Lord, here I am in brokenness and humility. Authenticity starts with humility. You understand that? Pride is the thing that makes us think we're greater than what we really are. <laughs> but the Bible says, God, you heard Pastor Jasmine, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humility is key to authenticity. Let me give you a biblical example of what this looks like. Luke 18, verse 9 through 14, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It says in verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. Have we ever said that? Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give my tenth of my tithe. But the tax collector, tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but bent his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And as Jesus goes on to say, I tell you the truth, that man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Do you understand? So I believe that if we're going to be an authentic bride in this hour, humility is key. Humility is key because I believe we have a generation right now that is literally walking in such arrogance before the Lord. And the Lord is resisting. God is literally opposing the pride in this hour. Somebody who says, well, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that abortion is wrong and so God is wrong. I don't believe this thing is wrong, so God is wrong. And God is saying, you never asked me. You never sought me in my word. You're allowing your opinions to be elevated above the word of God. That is an arrogant spirit. Do you understand? And I'm not here to bash you guys. I'm talking about the current culture we find ourselves in that's crept into the church. So another side of being authentic, authentic is being not just humbled, but not walking in false humility. You have to, the Lord dealt with me a few years ago. He said, the problem is we are walking in so much of the fear of man that we're afraid to say anything offensive. We're afraid to be bold. We're afraid to be courageous in this hour. We're afraid to confront in this generation. And what we do is we dumb down the voice of God to make people like us. We package it nicely so we can be relevant. And we don't, at least we offend anybody. But Jesus said, woe to those who are offended in that day. God is releasing voices right now that are not going to be compromised, not going to be muzzled, not going to say it and package it nicely so that you can be liked. 
Do you understand? So not walking in this false, humble thing, well, I'm just going to be just sweet, little, cute, little pastor, and I just don't want at least I lose a tithe. There's a spirit of awakening coming, and God is saying, keep your money, because I want a generation of preachers and prophets and evangelists and pastors that are going to preach with love, with compassion, with mercy, but with the fear of the Lord. But you can't walk in this intimidation spirit and call it humility either. God is saying, I want to put a trumpet to your mouth. Who's going to let me put a trumpet to your mouth? In humility and love, but with the fear of the Lord. So to be authentic is to be truly be a voice. John the Baptist was authentic. He was a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. So don't dumb down. God wants to give the end time church permission. Say, I refuse to dumb it down to make you feel comfortable with me. God is saying, turn it up, prophets. Because the earth is demanding a voice. Do you hear what I'm saying? The earth is demanding a voice. There would be certain circles I would go into or certain places and I would just look around the room and, oh, my God, this person is in there. And, and, and God would say, I want you to say this from the pulpit. But, God, what if they don't like me? What if they don't want to get me to have me back to preach? He says, do you fear them or do you fear me? Do you understand? And here's what's happening because we're not being authentic and because we're dumbing down, the devil is filling the void with his voices. And the loudest voices right now that the culture is hearing, they're the culturalist, secular prophets. And they're not dumbing down what they have to say to make you happy. The only group of people right now, the only group of people right now dumbing down God is the church to make the culture like us. I feel the fear of the Lord. But I'm telling you, when you begin to be that true, authentic voice in humility and kindness and love, but with the fire of God, the world will run to what you have to say. The world, the secular world is longing for truth, not people who tickle their ears. So humility is key, but false humility has got to go if you're going to be authentic in this hour. The second thing to being authentic is to be connected to the Holy Spirit. Somebody said that about connecting with God. The more we connect with God, the Holy Spirit reveals himself and he reveals your true self to you. There's no better person to reveal who you are to you than the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I love this because the Lord said to me this. He said, as you, the reason why you're not being authentic is because you have an orphan spirit. I said, what do you mean I have an or orphan spirit? He says, because when you don't connect with the Holy Spirit, and you are walking around trying to please man and, and, and perform your way, that is connected to an orphan-hearted person. And he took me to John, I love it, John 14, uh, uh, chapter 14, 15 to 21. It says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the spirit of truth. Who's the spirit of truth? The helper whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know me because he remains with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. After a little while, 
the world will no longer see me. So this just goes on and on, and you can read that on your own. But what the connection with Holy Spirit delivers us from an orphan spirit and reveals the spirit of truth. I believe the greatest atrocity right now in this generation is the lack of connecting with Holy Spirit. And that's why we have a generation of orphans. And you're looking at someone who Jesus saved, Jesus found me, I remember being an orphan. And I'll share that in a little bit. But God had to teach me the way you get free from that spirit is by connecting with God. Say, by connecting with God. 1997, I was, I was privileged. I got saved on the Toronto blessing. You guys remember the outpouring that happened in Canada? And I remember my spiritual mom. Her name is Heidi Baker. You can look her up. She's a radical missionary. I remember going to Mozambique with my other mama, and I was out there in the dirt. And I remember Heidi sharing this story. This is connected to an orphan spirit and how orphans do not know who they are. She what Heidi does is she takes in orphans from the dump and she goes and she collects these children and what she will do is the first time she brings them in her home, she makes this massive feast, like this big feast of chicken and rice and chicken in Mozambique is like steak in America. To get chicken, you are good if you got some chicken, okay? So all of these orphans, she sets up this big table and she says, come on in, come on in and eat. And she note, and then she tells them when they first sit at her table, I want you to know everything that I have belongs to you. This fridge is yours. You don't have to ask permission to go in. And the orphans would come. And the ones who lived in her house for a season, when they would eat, they would eat at ease. Say eat at ease. It would be easy for them to eat off their plate with ease. And they would go into the fridge like this is my fridge because mama said it was my fridge and I trust mama. Mama, was, well, mama wouldn't lie to me. And they're just so confident that everything in mama's house belongs to them. But then she'd say when the orphans that weren't used to being in mama's house, when they would eat, what they would do is when they would get their plate, they would eat real fast. And she said, oh, my God, you ate that real quick. And they would stuff them faces so high. And sometimes they would take the food and they would hide it in their pocket. And sometimes they would go to the other kid's plate and they would take the food up their plate. And she noticed that the orphans that really didn't believe that mama, that they could trust mama and everything was good. They had this posture where they would posture themselves like they were still orphans. And they would never sit in the easiness of being in mama's house. And the Lord said to her, this is like the Western church in America. We're in the house of God, but we don't believe that we're sons and daughters in the house of God. So we're so busy stealing off of each other's plates. We're so busy fighting with each other. We're not even going into the fridge because we don't believe that what's in there belongs to us. So you have a whole culture of orphans. But the ones who took their time say, take your time. It's easy in the presence of God. And they would eat every bite knowing that, guess what? There was always going to be enough. That mama wasn't holding out on them. I believe we think somehow God is going to hold out on us. God is not holding out on you. You are holding out on God. God is not holding out on you. You are holding out on God. What do I mean by that? God is saying, I want more time. However you connect with me, however you connect me, I want you to find it and connect with me. Give me your time. So that you can be free from an orphan spirit. You know, I know what it's like to be an orphan. I was born, you guys don't know my story. Some of you might have heard it. 
Listen, I didn't come out of the womb praying in Shabbatamadamba. I didn't come out of the womb speaking in tongues. I had no connection to the church or, or any of it. When I got saved, Jesus really had to do a work. I was born in 19, can I share my story real quick? I was born in 1978 during the drug wave. It hit New York City. The crack, you know, the crack wave hit the inner cities, but the crack, crack wave hit the suburbs. It just had a different face to it. And I remember the, um, I remember at the age of four or five years old, my parents fell prey to this drug wave. When I say fell prey, unfortunately, whatever was happening in the inner city started to affect my family. And at that time, it was, jobs were scarce. It was really hard. And so they fell prey to this drug wave. And at the age of seven, I was sent down the stream of the foster care system. The reason why I call it a stream is because I believe that there are end-time deliverers like Moses being sent down the stream of the foster care system. I do believe that with all of my heart. Some of the greatest voices that are coming in this generation are in the foster care system right now. They don't even know it. Come on, they don't even know it. And I'm sent down the stream, and I remember I went into my first home. I was born Angela Cornish. Then uh, my first, second home was a guy named this, the Rock family, Chris Rock. He's a very, you know, the slap guy in Hollywood. I was his sister, so I was a foster sister in his home. So I went from being Angela Cornish to Angela Rock. And then at the age of eight, nine, they said, well, we're going to send you back into the foster care system. I remember going back into the foster care system. By this time, I was called two different names. Imagine that. And my foster, my uh, new home, she said, I'm going to take you in, and I'm going to adopt you, and I'm going to change your name. And I remember going to court and having this orphan spirit. And I sat there and I said, wait a minute. I didn't just have my name changed once or twice, but three times. Who am I? And the spirit of confusion came over my life. And I remember growing up from 7 to 17, going to the clubs, going to the secular world, shouting, would somebody please tell me who I am? Because I don't have it on paper, so I need you to tell me that. And every place I went, it just didn't work. I'd be like that one awkward black girl in the club that couldn't dance. You know what I'm saying? It just didn't work. <laughs> Every, it, I mean, secular, the secular world, like, why are you even here? You just need to go to church. Like, even when you, when, you, when you dance, it's like you're at a praise break. Like, you're not even dancing with the rhythm of the song. Like, you just need to go to church. And when you speak, you, it's like you're preaching, but you're just, what are you doing here? And so I'm like, maybe I do need to go to church. And then at the age of 17, I found myself as an orphan with an orphan heart. Some of us, we just have an orphan heart coming into the church. And I, I didn't have all the language to religion. I just knew that something was wrong. And I found myself sleeping on a park bench in New York City at the age of 17 years old because I hit rock bottom. So I was still on that stream of uncertainty. And I remember being on this park bench. I'm going somewhere with this story, please. I was laying on that bench, and along came a praying mother who was a friend of the family. And she said to Haviland, what are you doing on this bench? You don't belong here. Obviously, you don't know who you are. You're coming home with me. And I remember her taking me and grabbing me, said 1997, I think around that time, she took me in her house. And she said, you're coming to mama's house. And I remember going, why would you want to take me? into your home. I'm, 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 I'm no one. Why would you want to bring me into your house? And I remember when I walked into her house, she was playing Ron Canoli. And I was like, who in the world is that? And why is he singing in such a way? 
<laughs> you missed it because I was used to hip hop and rap and she's playing Ron Cannoli and she's glowing and she's got oil dripping on her walls and I'm like, what's up with all the Crisco on your wallpaper? Because this woman was an intercessor and she understood that she had to take authority over devils and demons. So to me, it was like, why is there Crisco oil? But to her, that was the oil of prayer because she had been anointing those walls. Anyway, I ended up getting saved. The Lord took my life or more like I gave my life to the Lord or more like the Lord took my life. And he asked me this question. He said to Haviland, why, who do you think named you? And I'm saying, God, you already know. You're not schizophrenic. I was called by three names. What do you mean? Who named me, God? And he said, I want to reveal to you so that you can understand who you are so you don't walk into this season with an orphan spirit that I am the God who named you, that I am the God who framed you. And I said, okay, Lord, well, went to Kansas City, loved Mike Bickle, served under Mike Bickle. When I got to IHOP, I remember getting to Kansas City. I got to tell this quick story. I remember when I first walked in IHOP. Mike Bickle jumps off the stage and he goes, I've been waiting for you. I'm going, what, what, what? He goes, we need black people to pray. We don't have any African-Americans. I'm like, great. So you just want me to be your token prayer person. But I love Kansas City and I became an intercessor at the house of prayer. I love you, Mike. Thank you for your leadership. Get to house of prayer. And when I get there, I meet a pilot who flies planes. And he said, I heard you say your name was de Havilland. He said, I need to tell you who you are. I said, what do you mean? He said, to Havlin, I need to tell you. This is connected to authenticity, believe it or not. I said, what do you mean? He said, to Havlin and World War, he said, come with me. He said, sit down. I said, okay, sir. He said, I need to tell you, in, in World War II, there was these planes that were built during the war. And when they went to make these planes, these planes were called the de Havilland bombers, but the Defense Department did not believe in its design. So instead of giving wood, instead of giving metal to make the plane, the, they gave wood to make these planes. And he said to have on these planes, because they were made out of wood, they became some of the fastest planes in World War II. They could fly high and they could fly low and where Hitler would be doing his thing. And these planes would go under the radar and drop bombs over Hitler's things. And they would go high because of the wood. They can go high, high, high. And he said to Hamlin, do you understand that these planes, even though they did not believe in its design, became some of the fastest planes in World War II? And I said, what did you say? He said, yes, they became, he said, they became, and the Lord said this to me. He said, to have one when men do not believe in your design. He said, I'm the God who names you and frames you. And I saved you through the wood of my cross. And I've called you to fly with me and drop bombs of intercession in your generation. See, in that moment, I had an encounter. God connected with me about who I was so that when I gave my life to the Lord, I didn't walk around in shame, fear, intimidation, pride, arrogance. And I'm not perfect, but it was like a revelation that I am the God who named you. And I believe when this generation gets a hold that they're no longer orphans, their authentic self will come forth in power and in love. But we have got to be like that lady on the bench and say, I need to tell you who you are. We've got to be that pilot to begin to speak to a generation and say, this is not who you are. And I believe that the culture is going to shift when the church divorces the orphan spirit. Because we cannot have authority over what we don't love and we can have authority over what we're not healed of. 
So we're trying to get an orphan transgender generation or an orphan this generation's free. And God is saying, no, I want to set you free so you can have power to reach them. Not a form of godliness, but the power that's in the gospel. So God set me free from that orphan spirit. The, uh, Romans 8.15, 8, I'm looking at my time. 8.15 says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves to fear. You are not a slave to fear. Rather, the spirit you brought, that you received, brought about the spirit of adoption. There's something about the spirit of adoption. And I love mercy culture because you guys are creating an a safe place for people to come home and be adopted in the family of God. The spirit of adoption is being released because God does not need actors. I think that authenticity, if you're going to be real, you've got to start getting real with yourself. You got to start getting real with your sin. If somebody is struggling with sin and pornography, they need to be able to raise their hand in the house of God and not have to front it and fake it till you make it. We bind that fake it till you make it spirit up. This is a place for freedom. This is a place. Where can a young man go to find deliverance if not in the house of God? You know, I heard this story recently. And I, I, I just, I heard this story recently. And I said, Lord, this has to be something here. It was a young man. I was doing an interview on this show with this guy. And he said to me, he said, when I was a little boy, my grandmother put a purple dress on me. I don't know why I'm harping on this, but I feel like there's something here with this. He said, my grandmother put a purple dress on me. I said, what do you mean a purple dress? He was doing an interview on this show. He said, yeah, when I was four, my grandmother put a purple dress on me and said, oh, you sure are so cute in this dress. And he said, after they put that purple dress, the image of the purple dress would never leave his mind. So he would sneak at night and put this dress on. And finally, when his father found him putting on the dress, the father would take planks from the, from the board on the floor and he would beat him with it and say, how dare you? Why would you put this dress on? And then he goes on in his life to, because he, this is like the 80s. He started struggling with this secret lifestyle and being, you know, this transgender man and he's struggling. And he finally changed. He had the operations. He changed himself. And he realizes he's changed himself, but he's like, you know what? I got to go to church. Because I need to, I don't, I don't know what, but I just need to go to church. So he goes to church. And he walks in the church with his dress on and everything else. And he walks in the church by his name that he called himself. And, the, and he has a great church service, goes home, leaves his, you know how you do the connect cards. He puts his address. The pastor shows up at his house and said, don't you ever come to my church again. And he said, what do you mean? He said, don't you ever come to my church again. You are not welcome at our church. So he says, okay, well, maybe next time when I decide to go to church, I'll call the pastor and ask permission first. So he calls this other church, and he says, I just want to meet with you first so you're prepared when I come. So he comes, and the pastor says, come in with me in my office. And he comes in his office, and he sits down, and he says, pastor, I just want you to know you can't change me. He said, I know I can't change you, but God can change you. And he said, God can change you. And he, so he said, okay, he said, I want you to keep coming. He keeps coming back to church. And Lord, I, 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 sometimes my husband's like, you jacked that whole story up. Just go find it on Daystar. So he comes back to church. And they said, for the next two years, we want you to submit to us your prayers. 
Whatever you need, put it on this altar. For two years, this church prayed for this man, two years straight. And then after the second year of praying for him, they said, come on. He started to have a desire to be a man again. He just, his God changed who he was. Two years after submitting his prayers, they took a pile of his prayers and they took it outside and they burned it with a torch. And they said, you are now a new creation. You are now authentically you. You don't have to perform anymore. You're set free. You're healed. This is your new truth. This man walked. He began to walk inside. He is now, God is using him to set transgenders free all over the nation of God. Why am I saying this? Because when the spirit of adoption comes on you and you get a hold of who God's called you to be, you will never have to deal with that again. God set him free. Now we walk it out. Of course, we got to walk it out. But he began to cry, Abba, Father. Say, Abba, Father. God wants to baptize the church. God wants to deliver us from this thing. How do you identify you're walking in an orphan spirit? How do you identify it? These, this is some things the Lord is take, take, teaching me. Because when I was a younger woman, I was with all these men, and they said to Haviland, one man walked up to me. He said, You'll, you, you, listen, you got three strikes against you. You're young, you're black, you're a woman. Good luck. And I said, well, God, wouldn't that qualify me? My God. I said, this should qualify me. Why would this? And, he, and the Lord said, if you allow what man to put on you in these labels, you'll never, ever preach the gospel. God is looking for some free folks, okay? So let me tell you, if I would have let that hit my soul, I would have walked around with an orphan spirit. I'd never be preaching to this day. When they try to muzzle the voice of African-American leaders because they want you to say it their way. Listen, I'm not here to make the white church like me nor the black church like me. I want When I stand and I drop dead and I stand before the presence of God, the God can say, well done, that good and faithful servant. So an orphan spirit, number one, here's how you identify. You never feel comfortable at the table. You find your acceptance in what you do rather than who you are. You work for love and not from love. God does not want you working for love. You are already loved. That's how to identify. You work for love and not from love. Another thing the Lord says, when you have an orphan spirit, you always have to be right. You always have the highest assessment of yourself. You never want to be submitted to anybody because you got all the answers. You can't stay connected to a church long enough. Because you're afraid of commitment. He said, when you have an orphan spirit, you're afraid of losing your place. Let me ask you this. Who are you passing the baton unto? Who are you discipling? Who are you pouring into? You can reach people for the gospel. When you have an orphan spirit, you strive to be seen for your gift. And you always feel the need to have a platform. If you, can do with, if you can't do without it, it's not for you. God is looking for people who don't need a platform. They just need the presence of God. So when you have an orphan spirit and you don't have that authenticity, you don't know how to rest. You feel like the world's going to fall apart without you. <laughs> God is dealt, dealing with Will and I about this. You know, when we first met with Pastor Lana, he brought us in his office. He said, are you dealing with pornography? We said, good night. No, we're not. And we had this, like, dramatic response. And he said, do you take the Sabbath serious? And we're like, well, what'd you say? Do you take the Sabbath serious? No, no, no. He goes, well, then you're probably in sin. Like, you don't know rest? Because we thought, oh, well, if we're dealing with pornography, then that's like, he said, this is just as bad. You need to learn how to rest. And if you're going to be a part of this house, you're going to have to learn how to take a Sabbath. 
So now when I look at Will Ford, I said, you heard what Pastor Landon said. You need to clear your schedule up. He's got my back. Why am I saying that? Sons and daughters know how to take a nap. They know how to rest, okay? Is this good? Are you guys with me this morning? Okay. Last. Orphans. You compete with the very people you're called to impart into. Orphans compete instead of imparting. No more competition. There's something you have I don't have. There's, listen, we don't have the full counsel of God. We need each other, okay? Orphans do not think with the next generation in mind. Everything they build is for themselves. But like Miles Monroe said, you, you can't die with the mantle in your grave. You got to pass the baton on to the next generation. And that's why I love the culture of this house, because they're raising up a generation to carry the baton on. We built movements around ourselves, and they die because they're idols. So how do you know you're not? walking and God is freeing you from an orphan. He's freeing me from an orphan spirit. Sons and daughters are willing to serve. You know, someone said to me, why do you, Will, why do you and Will walk around saying mom is Cindy? You guys are almost in your 60s and 50s. Why do you call people spiritual parents? And we were like, are you kidding me? When in the world do we stop needing Mothers and fathers and leaders in the church, just because you have a hashtag and a social media account doesn't make you powerful. You should always be submitted to somebody other than yourself. So sons and daughters know how to serve and go low. God can trust you with influence because you understand it's not about you, but it's about the presence of God. And this is not for you. This is for me. If I'm yelling, I'm just so excited to be in the house of God. Please don't think I'm preaching at you. I'm talking to myself. See, they build. They build men and raise sons. They build daughters and raise daughters. They contend for covenant, and when they're wounded, they get back in the race. Orphans isolate themselves. Orphans get offended, and they leave, and they get mad. During 2020, with the racial tension, do you know how many people started to tell us, you need to leave the church? You guys, why are you staying in those white churches? I'm like literally pouring it all out on this altar. Why are you guys staying in this, with all the racial tension happening? You know, you can't, we went to the White House. Don't you dare put up those pictures that you went to the White House. You should just leave those tables they don't appreciate your voice. Why are you there? And the Lord said, if you leave those tables, you'll be sidelined and you'll be an offended, wounded little kitten cat sitting on the sideline because when I needed your voice, you retreated. You stay at that table and you continue to bridge the gap. Orphans run, sons stay. And I'm not talking about spiritual abuse. I'm not talking about tolerating evil. I'm talking about saying, God, I'm going to stay and fight for covenant because it's worth it because love is worth it. Because we've got a whole bunch of people mad and starting movements because they're mad. I know this to be true. And you don't even know the people discipling you online. They're somewhere mad in the Congo with a computer and you're following them and they don't even, nobody knows who they are. So you got to stay at the table. Stay in the congregation, the Lord, unless it's abuse and it's crazy, then get out. If it's crazy and they're saying some crazy jacked up stuff, we give you permission to leave. But I'm talking about the true church. You stay and you contend for love. Sons and daughters. You know your value 
And here's one that God really got me. He said, when you have freedom and you know you're a son and daughter, you can sit at the table without rivalry. You can call people in. You can bring people in the house of God. You know how to create community. Amen? And, and the, the last thing, so how do you identify the two? You freely give to the Lord. You don't hold your portion like those little orphans at the table. You can freely say, God, all that I am is yours. And here's, I want to bring everybody on with me. The Lord said the last thing to authenticity is covenant. It's not enough just to be humble. It's not enough just to connect with God. We've got to connect with each other more now than ever before. Right? And I'm going to wrap this up with this. True authenticity is wrapped up in someone else. Who is speaking into your life? Who are you submitting to? Who are you walking with in love daily? When you, you know, my spiritual mama, Mama Cindy called me. I was mad at something a couple of weeks ago. And she said, well, you just sound offended. Let's deal with that offense. Right? Let's just deal with it on the phone. And I'm going, I just want to be mad. I feel like I have the right to be mad. These people really hurt me. And the Lord said, your right to be mad is sidelining you from walking in your assignment. So in order to be authentic, you need to be real with who you're actually running with. Do not isolate in this season. Lean into the awkward. Can I say that one more time? Lean into the uncomfortability. Because God wants to purify his church. And how does he do it? Iron sharpens iron. And I'm not talking about running around when you see sin uh, 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 blasting people. But I'm saying coming into family and say, I want to be real with my sin. I want to be real with my offense. I want to be real with my pride. I want to be real with my arrogance. God, I want to be like Jesus. God, I need you more. Having a heart that's willing to say, God, here I am. Do you understand? Authenticity is birthed through relationships relationship I don't understand these people that say they don't need the local church or they don't need a church or they just going to do them and chill out and be do you boo culture God is saying the end time body of Christ is going to be the only moral compass that's going to change the society and if that's the case we've got to be together in this thing in love so if you are saying we I'm over my time if you're saying to have an I've struggled Listen, I've not been authentic because I don't know how to be. Because I have all this stuff on me. I got all this lies on me. I don't know how to really show my true self because I've not connected with the Holy Spirit. I want you to stand up if that's you. If you're saying, I want to be real in this hour. I don't want to be a fake, phony Christian. I don't want to have all the right words. I don't want to say the right things, but I want to say the real things. I want you to stand up. If you struggle with that orphan spirit, I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up. I say, God, get it out of me because you need me in this hour. You need my heart. I want to be all in God. I want to go all the way with you, Jesus. And I don't have time. I don't have time for this, God. I I want you to raise your hands because the authentic presence of God is going to call forth and put a demand on who you are in your life. The presence of the Lord is going to bring forth the glory on the inside of you. So Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for authenticity. We thank you for real, genuine voices that you're raising up out of mercy culture. We thank you, Lord. We break our allegiance with the orphan heart. Lord, that says we're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We don't know how to say it right enough we don't look well enough we want to break that striving off of you the striving for love you don't work for love you're already loved you're already my beloved so lord we release a love bomb we release a love bomb we release a
your church will be some of the most radical lovers of God. God, we thank you, Lord, that you're breaking off the fear of man. This house will not be a cookie-cutter, performance-based house. This will be a house genuinely anointed by the presence of God. This will be a house that will stand as a beacon in the end times. And the Lord says this will be a house of truth. Come on. We give you permission to not dumb down God. We give you permission to not try to explain away the presence here. We say freedom to prophesy. We say freedom to to, to live in the presence of God. Come on, if you're being touched, just come to the altar. Uh, If you're saying God is touching me, I feel like I'm getting set free. Just come to the altar. You're being set free right now for striving. You're being set free of performance-based Christianity. You're being set free from trying to make people super-duper, duper-duper happy with you. Come on, we just shake yourself. Come on, this is is good. More, Lord. Freedom. If you take it on, if you take it on the lie of the culture, that you have to be your truest self, built by desire, based on a feeling, and you've given yourself permission to live in sin because you just feel like it, I need you to repent before the Lord. When you have, I really want you to catch this. If you have believed the secular, the secular worldly interpretation authenticity and true self based on what you feel and you have allowed sin in your life because you just feel like this is your true self the devil is a liar the cross is able to set you free so right now that's you Lord I break just wait I break off that spirit of the age that gives you permission to live in sin and I say holiness unto the Lord not out of condemnation we pray right now in Jesus name for authentic power authentic humility Lord in Jesus name